Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are in the midst of a study of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is this section of the Gospel of Matthew from Matthew chapters 5 through 7 that is one long message that Jesus preached. And this summer, over the last number of weeks, we have been looking at this sermon together. And one of the things that we have seen as we've looked at this is that Jesus begins this sermon by promising a blessed life. There is a life that God blesses, and he he talks about that. But then he talks about how, over time, God's law has been tarnished by the religious people in this world. And so Jesus takes God's law and he polishes it to return it to its brilliance. In other words, he lets us know what God really meant when he gave the law in the Old Testament. And so we see Jesus do that, and we've looked at this over the last number of weeks. Now, when we come to Matthew chapter 6, which is where we're going to be the next few weeks... We see Jesus doing a similar thing, but not here with our moral life, but with our religious life. Jesus is going to make some comments about how we live out our religious experience and how we do that with authenticity and with reality. And so we're going to look at that uh, today with some verses from Matthew 6. Now, before we do that, I want to just ask you a question. How many of you have ever been to a costume party before? You've gone to a costume party or you, you've, you've dressed up on a, on a holiday of some kind. Um, this here is my family uh, dressed up for Halloween just a couple of years ago. Now, we like to dress in themes in our household, and so uh, we were dressed in a theme this year. Uh, I'll give you a hint. I was dressed up as Barry Switzer, not Bob Steves. I know you got Bob on your brain. It's, it's a tough week, right? Uh, but th- I was dressed up as Barry Switzer that year, right? Um, my son was dressed up as who? Brian Bosworth. Yeah, we got a few people from the 80s here. So uh, my son was dressed up as Boz and my wife as a referee, okay? Um, now, here's the thing. When we got dressed up that night, our intention was to mask our real identity. Our intention was to dress up as something else so that when you saw us, you would go, oh, you are not, hey, Mark, but you are, you're dressed up as, there was, there was some hope for that when I got dressed up. As a matter of fact, if, you know, the, the red pants and stuff, I, I hope that you thought that was different for me, right? So uh, I dressed up, I, I did my hair that certain way because I really thought I looked like the king. Okay, so here was the deal. Um, we dress up on Halloween or we dress up to go to costume parties with this idea of having you think that we are someone that we're not. That's the principle. Now, do we ever do that at church? Now, I know like at VBS, people played parts and skits and that kind of stuff, but I mean, just everyday, ordinary Sundays, do we ever dress up to be something that we're not? As followers of Christ, we're tempted to do this, aren't we? You know, you get together with a group of people to pray, and you're catching up on your prayer life, and you're praying using all these flowery words and, and all of this stuff because you want people to think, man, that person's got a really adept prayer life. You ever do that? Or am I the only one? We put on a costume. We, we hope people think that we're someone that we're not. A conversation turns to evangelism, and you think of that one person that you invited to church at third, in third grade, and, and you tell that story like it happened yesterday. Never happened to you? We put on a 
costume. We want people to think that we're someone that we're not. This is the temptation. You know what? This may even be your first Sunday here, and you came in, and your thought coming in was, I want to just blend in. I don't want anybody to know that I'm here. How do I dress the part so I look like the rest of them? And you might have even looked on our website to see how you could dress that you might fit in. There's just something about us that we, we just are afraid that people will see us for who we really are. And so we, we have this temptation or this desire to present ourselves at times as people even that we're not. And this is true in so many areas of our life, but it's especially true, I think, in the religious area of our life. And so Jesus talks to that in the Sermon on the Mount. And really what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, just to summarize his point, is Jesus says, hey, guess what? I can see through your costume. I can see right to your heart. I can see right to your brain. I know exactly who you are. And if we were to extrapolate this with the rest of the New Testament, we could say that Jesus would, would also comment and say, and guess what? I'm not that impressed by you. But it's okay. I love you anyway. Jesus sees past our costume. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks to us religious people, and he, he wants us to know, hey, stop dressing up and playing the part. Let's get real as it comes to our relationship with God. And he does so by talking about three things that we're going to see over the next few weeks. He talks about the issue of almsgiving, giving to the poor. He does so by talking about prayer. And he does so by talking about fasting. And so we're going to see over the next few weeks some of what Jesus has to say about those things as we get real in our relationship with him. So let's remove the costumes and let's have some conversation around these verses. We're going to read today Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to bounce down and see verses 19 through 24. Now, just as we've done in other sections of this message, don't worry, we're going to come back and hit those verses that we're skipping today. But thematically, we're going to keep them together. So we'll read Matthew 6, 1 through 4, and then on down in 19 through 24, and then we'll talk about what they mean. Jesus preaches and says this, "'Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets.'" that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then on down in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, friends, as we look at these verses today, I want us to see a couple of things. The first thing I want us to see is this. Don't try to buy a religious reputation. Don't try to buy a religious reputation. I think this is what Jesus was getting at in the first part of this passage. Jesus was 
aware that there were some in the first century who were trying to buy the approval of others. They were trying to have others look at them and go, wow, look at that religious person. Look at that pious person. Look at that devout person. They, They were people who desired the respect and the admiration of others related to their spiritual life even more than they desired God's approval. They were living out their spiritual life for the approval of men and not primarily for the approval of God. And Jesus calls them on it. He says, I see right through that costume. Now, the ones he's directly speaking to, I think, most directly here are the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the first century who had dressed up and were playing a part. And it had led to their wealth. It had led to their, them having societal standing. But Jesus looks at it and says, hey, I see right through this part that you're playing, guys. It's not impressing me. He says in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Davies and Allison in their commentary on Matthew describe what was happening in the lives of the Pharisees this way. He says, they were not giving, but buying. They wanted the praise of men. They paid for it. What they were doing was they were going around and they would make sure that you knew how generous they were. They wouldn't give a gift if others weren't around to see it. It's like if the tree falls in the forest, right? Would it make a noise? I mean, if we give a gift and we don't receive applause from men, did it really count? And so they were orchestrating their lives so that others would see them doing generous things, and so they would think that they were generous. They would orchestrate their lives so that others would see them praying, and they would think that they were pious. That was their whole goal, was that other people would give them admiration and respect. That's what the Pharisees were up to, and Jesus calls them on it, and he says, hey, stop doing that. Stop just practicing your spiritual life so that you would gain the approval of others. Now, when we first see this principle, in one sense, it makes sense to us, right? I mean, it just makes sense. It seems very self-serving to only live out your spiritual life for the applause of men. I mean, even if you have never been to church before or you've been here every Sunday, you understand that's probably not the way it works. But here's the thing. If you've been around and been reading the Sermon on the Mount, that statement might be a little bit confusing because here he tells us to not practice our righteousness before others that we would gain the approval of others. But back in chapter 5, he says what seems like maybe just the opposite of that. Remember what Jesus said back in chapter 5 and verse 16? He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the question becomes, what is it, Jesus? Are we supposed to do our works before others or are we supposed to hide them? Are we supposed to show or are we supposed to hide? This is really the question. And I think that at first glance, it seems to be a contradiction. But when we apply some common sense and think about this, we understand this distinction. In a sense, Jesus was, was telling them this. There are going to be times when, when you want to hide because of your connection to me. In those instances, I want you to show when you're tempted to hide. Think of Peter when he was outside the area where Jesus was on trial. And he says, I didn't even know the man. He was tempted to hide because of his connection to Christ when he should have showed in that moment. But there are other times when we are are tempted to show 
that we should hide. There are times when we want the respect, the admiration, or the approval of others. And so we want them to know how much we gave, how much we serve, how much we know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in those instances, maybe we should hide. Do you get the principle? And you apply it back to our verses in 516. Just look at this. Uh, next slide, Brendan. When you look at this, uh, you, you, get, you get the point. In both of these verses, who gets the glory? God does, right? The whole point is for the glory of God. If, if we receive the reward, then there's nothing that is happening in heaven. If we get the applause, then, then there's no applause in heaven. Down in, in 516, when we do good works according to what Jesus says in 516, we're not the one who receives the glory, but God is the one who receives the glory. We're to live our lives with an orientation to point people to God, to point people to Him. And if we find ourselves living out our spiritual life so it's about us and others thinking how cool we are or how spiritual we are or how religious we are, then we are missing the boat. That's Jesus' point. He says in chapter 6 that we're not to do that. Now, he continues in, in verse 2, and he's going to apply this with the issue of, of almsgiving or giving to those who were in need. I think by application, we can apply this principle to all kinds of giving, but Jesus here is talking about giving to the beggar on the street, the person who has need inside of your family or inside of your, in their case, synagogue, in our case, church, the, the needy person around us. When we give to them, Jesus is talking about this. He, interestingly, he doesn't say, if you give to them, he says, when you give to them. Because Jesus knows that when our hearts are connected to Him, that there's a generosity that wells up. I've seen this in you. I know this to be true. It's, it's not because we're just altruistic people. It's because God's at work in our hearts and lives to make us more generous. And that generosity overflows to those in need around us. And so Jesus says when that generosity begins to overflow, when we begin to reach out to help meet the needs around us, when we begin to give, He says this, He says, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Now, what was Jesus talking about there? There's a lot of debate about what this might have been. There were some horn-shaped receptacles in the temple that people, when they would put their coins in there, it would make a lot of noise. You know, it's like that coin machine at the, at the grocery store. You know, anybody that ever puts their coins in that, you know that somebody's there doing that, right? You can imagine the scene if somebody is going to put something in a noisy container that everybody would know that they gave it. And Jesus says, don't, maybe he's talking about that noise. Don't, don't give in that way, in this kind of ostentatious way so that people know. There also were horns that blew at the time of religious festivals, and at times the beggars might come out when the horn was blown, knowing that they had an opportunity to receive an offering, and maybe Jesus was talking about not giving at a time when that happens. Or maybe Jesus was just almost talking in hyperbole here, saying, hey, don't toot your own horn when you give. Don't, don't wait till there's a crowd around to give. The point that Jesus is making here is don't give so that others think that we're great. Give to give. Give to, to meet the need. The, the, the reward is that the need is met, not that the reward is that there's a celebration of you. Jesus challenges our general understanding, and he says this is the way that it's supposed to be with the world. Now, you know, we, we live in a world that, that doesn't do that, right? We live in a world where giving is, is tied to uh, somebody's name being great. You give, you get your name on the side of a building, those kinds of things. That's the way the world works. 
That's not the way it's supposed to be inside the body of Christ. We give not for our greatness, but we give to the glory of God. We give to to meet a need of somebody who is created in the image of God. We give for those reasons. We, We don't give to make our name great. Don't try to buy a religious reputation with your generosity. That seems to be the point. Now, Jesus continues, and he says something really curious, I think, in verses 3 and 4. Really curious. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what's he talking about there? You know, oftentimes the operative hand would have been the right hand. And Jesus says, when you give with your right hand, don't let your left hand know what that means. Now, I've always thought that just as a mere repetition of what he had just said before with the trumpet. But I think there's actually something more to this. I think that, that Jesus actually is warning us from becoming self-righteous with our own giving. There's a, a sense in which Jesus is cautioning us from reflecting too much on our own generosity. John Stott says this of Jesus' comments here. He says, there is no difficulty in grasping Jesus' meaning here. Not only are we not to tell other people about our Christian giving, but there is a sense in which we are not even to tell ourselves. We are not to be self-conscious in our giving, for our self-consciousness will readily deteriorate into self-righteousness. So subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that it is possible to take deliberate steps to keep our giving secret from men while simultaneously dwelling on it in our own minds in a spirit of self-congratulation. Now, when I read that quote and we think about what Jesus means here, there are some of you that go, hey, pastor, that's not my problem. My problem is not self-congratulating myself. As a matter of fact, when you start talking about generosity, I don't want to make eye contact with you or with anybody else. Um, I, I understand that. But there are others of us that need to hear this. Jesus' challenge here is not just to, to not give for the congratulation of others, but don't even give for the congratulation of yourself. When you give, let it go. Entrust it to God for Him to work and to use for His glory and for His honor. So we have a temptation to, to have it be about us. Even when we don't think it's about us, we have a temptation for it to be about us. And Jesus says, when we give, let's not try to buy influence. Let's not try to buy a reputation with that gift, but we give to the glory of God to give. Now, here's the thing. What do we do with that? What do you do with that? Well, I think that we see here that it's normal for the Christian to be generous. Are you generous? It's normal for the Christian to to, to reach out and to to help meet the needs of others around them. Are we reaching out to meet the needs of others around them inside the church, inside the community? And as we do those things, are we doing it to make our name great or to to meet the need to the glory of God? Jesus says that we're to give for that reason, not for the reason of exalting ourselves. One of the things that I, I think is amazing about Wildwood, and this is a part of the culture um, I've been a part of Wildwood a long time, 16 and a half years on staff, but been a part of the church now for 25 years in one way, shape, or form. 
And one of the things that I've been really impressed by Wildwood is that our pastoral team, we don't know what people give. Unless you have come up to me and told me what you give, in which case I look at the little men in black pen and try to forget it. Unless you have come up and said, I don't know. We, we don't have a report. We don't look at that information as, as a staff. Why? Because we're fallen people and we could be prone to uh, be, be swayed by that kind of information. And so, you know, our team knows that you get a, a record of giving and those kinds of things, but, but know that that's not. So if you're giving to gain influence with, with me or with one of our staff, know that we're not going to get it. But you know what? Keep giving. Why? Because to God be the glory. And God can use that. He uses the gifts that are given to our fellowship assistants to meet needs within our body of people that have needs. He uses gifts that are given to general offering to further the gospel in our community and around the world. We have incredible opportunities to be generous and to see God work, but we do it for His glory and not for ours. So the first thing we see is not to try to buy a religious reputation. But the second thing that we see is this. We are to invest for the long haul. We're to invest for the long haul. Now, it's, it's interesting, as Jesus bounces over to verse 19, he, he's going to pick back up with our understanding of riches and our idea of how we invest the material things that God has entrusted to us. I think it's connected to what we saw in the first four verses, which is why we're, we're looking here. And so Jesus is going to talk about this. And really, um, he's going to talk about this almost as an investment. And, and I, I have to tell you, I'm not somebody who plays the stock market. I mean, we have this retirement thing, but I, I trust people to help me with those things. I, I don't even understand all that. So when I'm talking about uh, an illustration that I'm getting ready to give that relates to money, some of you get ready to roll your eyes, okay? Because I, I obviously am not going to know as much of what I'm talking about as you are. So hopefully I'll get enough of this right so that this illustration connects. But many times when we think about the material things that God has entrusted to us, we want to day trade with those things. We want to take them and we want to invest them and we want to see a return on our investment just within a few hours or maybe within a few weeks or at most within a couple of years, but we want to get an immediate gratification for the things that we invest in. And because of that, we tend to invest in things of this world. We tend to, to take our, our investment and we, we invest in things that we get now because those are the things that we have access to right now. Things like houses and cars and vacations and and, and all of those kinds of experiences and ways that we spend our money, that's the thing that we're most familiar with. It's the thing that we get the quickest return on. And, and many times we take the resources that God has given us and we want to invest them, we want to day trade with them for immediate return. But what Jesus is saying is I want you to have a different strategy with how you invest the resources that I've given to you. I don't want you to just day trade with them. I want you to invest for the long haul. Don't, am I close at all on this? Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, I, want to, I want you to invest in this for the long haul. I want you to, to take these things that I've entrusted to you, Jesus says, and I want you to look ahead to eternity and think of how your investment of those resources will impact then, not just now. Because the time in which we live on the earth, at best, it's like a day trade. Jesus makes that clear as he talks here in verse 19 through 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, what is the treasure of this earth and how does it fall apart? Well, the treasure of this earth, we're, we're, we're really pretty familiar with that, aren't we? 
It's the stuff we accumulate. Now, we're, we're not called to, to renounce everything that's in the world in, in, in the sense of not enjoying it. The things that God has given us, the food He's given us to eat, we, we enjoy that. The fact that we have a place to live, uh, we're, we're to enjoy the, those things. But what Jesus is saying is don't merely invest your life and your resources for now because all of these things are going to fall apart. They all will. Every single one of them will fall apart. Sometimes they fall apart because our desire for it fades, because the newest, greatest thing. This happens with Apple products, doesn't it? I mean, you get something and you think, there will never be a better phone. And then 11 months later, they say, until this one. You have an iPad and you think, there will never be a better device. Oh, wait, but then this one. It's the same thing, but it has, you know, it's it's 20% faster. And suddenly this category is created. Sometimes things fall out of favor with us because they're not quite as good, but sometimes they just flat out break. Right? I mean, how long does a washing machine last nowadays? Right? You get, all, you get a washing machine, you bring it home, and eight, nine years later, it doesn't work anymore. The things of this world break. Think about even the things that you have in your life that will endure the longest, like your house. Anybody here lived in their home for 25 years? Same home. Awesome. 30 years? Do I hear 40? Yeah, we got at least one hand up. 40 years in the same house. That is awesome. So cool. 40 years in the same house. Now, here's the thing when you think about that. All of that investment in that house, it seems like it's something that will last. But guess what? That house won't last, at least not with us in it, right? Because eventually we're going to transition out of this world. Eventually our house will either fall apart or we will fall apart. That's just the way that it works. We'll not take it with us. And Jesus' point is, don't take everything that I've entrusted to you, your time, your talent, and your treasure, and invest it only for things in this life. Because if you do so, you're making an investment in something that will fall apart. But Jesus says, take the things I've entrusted to you and invest in something that will last, something that is found in heaven. He says in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now, what is this treasure in heaven? What is it that we're to lay up there? Now, this is a little harder for us. The treasure of the earth, we're familiar with that. The treasure of heaven, what are we talking about? He's talking about reward throughout this whole passage. We've seen it back in verses 1 through 4 and here. What, what is the, the reward that is talked about? Now, I think there are a few things. We think about it in its most basic terms. What Jesus is getting at here is invest in things that will make it into eternity. Invest in those things. Well, what is it that will make it into eternity? Well, certainly there is things like the shaping of our character. Jesus said, or Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, these three will remain, faith, hope, and love. There is a sense where the development of our character, our sanctification in following Christ, that will improve. It is a good investment for us to invest in following Christ and allowing Him to shape our character. That's something that will last. But it's not just that. There's also, there's talk of, of reward that Jesus would give, commendation for followers of Him that it's possible to hear, well done, good and faithful servant one day. There are rewards that are out there like that. But even beyond those two, I think that this passage gives us another category. What is it that will make it into eternity? It's not my Subaru, but it's people. People who trust in Christ. When we invest the resources God has given us in sharing Christ with people, It offers them 
the hope of eternity. And when we get to heaven, we will have the privilege of rejoicing in seeing how God has used the resources we have invested here to provide a harvest that can be enjoyed forever. And friends, that impacts so much of our thinking and what we do. You know, this last week we had 650 kids in here for VBS, and it was awesome. It was fun. But I, I got to tell you this, this. I can say this with absolute certainty. We did not do that event last week for this world. As fun as it was, and it was fun, we didn't do it for the fun. Just that. That, that, would, that wouldn't have been enough. We invested the time and the resources and the energy to help connect these children to Christ and hopefully their families to Christ because we believe there's an eternity out there. We were investing our resources now for then. Why is it that Wildwood is is sending a team to Latvia that leaves this week? It's not just to make lives a little more tolerable for those orphans. It's so those orphans might come into a relationship with Christ that we might see them then. We're making investments now for later. Why is it that Phil and Marianne are driving right? By the way, Phil and Marianne Chain, two of Wildwood's missionary partners for 25 years, something like that, long time. Um, why is it that we, we get a chance to partner with them and in going into villages and sharing the gospel with people in Mexico? It's not for now. As, as, as wonderful as it is for us to be able to reach out and to do eye clinic or, or Brian went with them and was, was helping with teeth, those are important things, but it's not just for that, right? There's something greater than that. There's the hope of eternity. We invest now for then. Jesus' point is don't take all of these resources that I've entrusted to you and invest them merely now. Think about how we can invest them for then. So when you think about your world and your life and the resources that God has entrusted to you, your money and your house and your possessions, as well as your talents and your time, how are you investing those things with eternal reward? When you give to Wildwood Community Church, part of what happens is we take that money and we invest it in what God is doing. We get to do that together to do some bigger projects than we could do on our own. But also that's why we invest individually, why, why so many of you have missionaries that you support and partner with personally because we just have the privilege of taking some of what we have and partnering. Why do we have margin in our schedule to be able to be friendly to our neighbors or to invite them to activities and, and be able to share Christ with them? We do so because we're not just looking at now, but we're looking at later. Jesus challenges us to lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. When we have that understanding, we we know that our perspective will change everything that we do. That's what Jesus says in 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Jesus is just saying there that our perspective, our eye, when it's focused on this world, our entire perspective on life, it will will impact everything that we do. But if our eye is focused towards heaven, it will impact everything that we do. Charles Spurgeon said this of this passage. He said, the heart must and will go in the direction of that which we count precious. The whole man will be transformed into the likeness of that for which he lives. Where we place our treasures, our thoughts will naturally fly. Then listen to this. It will be wise to let all that we have act as magnets to draw us in that direction. If our very best things are in heaven, our very best thoughts will fly in the same direction. But if our choicest possessions are of the earth, our heart will be earthbound. What's our perspective on life? Where are we leaning? What are we trusting? He summarizes this, Jesus does, in verse 24. 
by talking about two masters, really the master of God or the, the master of gain. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and gain. What is it in your life that is dominant? Jesus says, let's, let's get real for a moment. Let's take the costumes off and let's look at our hearts. Are we really following Christ? Are we really looking to heaven? Are we allowing that perspective to shape all that we are and all that we do? Are we merely looking for the approval of men? Now, here's the thing, friends. When we talk about passages like this and we read them, um, they're convicting, aren't they? Let's be real. It's it's convicting. The costume comes off and we feel a little exposed. But here's what I want you to know, and this is so important. Every costume Jesus removes is not because he's rejecting us. It's because he wants us to realize our need so that we would lean into him and allow him to fully transform us from the inside out. Jesus didn't come to give us a religious costume. He came to transform our lives. He came to offer us his righteousness. And so if you're here today and you're convicted and you know Christ, then then just confess of past sin and move on knowing the power and the forgiveness of Christ. But if you're here today and you hear this in your challenge and you don't know where to begin, know this, that it begins by trusting Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Our failures and our perspective and our attitudes and our actions of the past, Jesus paid for that. And he offers us true new life. We trust in him. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of worshiping you today. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be a people who lean in and trust Jesus for all that we are. And Father, that we would be generous, not for the approval of men and not for our own glory, but for yours. Father, that we would look towards the future and invest in that direction and not merely day trade for today. We thank you. We pray now these things in Jesus' name.